never, 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 never take football for granted. Welcome along to another episode from the Footy Social Club. Match week one is out of the way. Um, not too many shocks. I don't know how Ryan feels about that, but not too many shocks on match week one. Fairly straightforward, and I'll get to the results of those in a moment. Um, there was definitely a few contentious calls um, and the new rules being implemented this weekend. Um, I know from the different messages I saw on our WhatsApp group, some of those guys you weren't too happy with. Again, we'll discuss those during the show. Um, before I go on, obviously, just mentioned Ryan, Gaz, and obviously Matt joining me to discuss everything from the weekend. Um, I'll read out the results, and then, Ryan, I'll come to you to discuss Newcastle and Aston Villa. Um, so the season kicked off on Friday. Um, Burnley and City, City winning 3-0. Haaland, goal machine, train, carries on there with him grabbing a quick double. Um, my team, Arsenal, a comfortable 2-1 victory at home to Nottingham Forest. A couple of cracking goals there as well. The Martinelli assist and the Saka rocket. Um, he's got to be the best right winger in the world at the moment, Bukayo Saka. No bias there, obviously. Um, Bournemouth drew 1-1 at home with West Ham. Brighton smashed Luton 4-1. I think I said 5-0 in my predictions, but they, they beat Luton comfortably 4-1. Um, Everton lost at home to Fulham 1-0. Mitrovic made a substitute appearance and played his part in the goal there. Um, Sheffield United, they lost 1-0 at home to Crystal Palace. They're definitely in for a tough season. Um, Newcastle and Villa rounded off the Saturday games with a comfortable 5-1 victory for Eddie Howe's Newcastle. On Sunday, um, Angeball got underway with a pretty good 2-2 draw um, with Brentford. It was a really good game, especially in the first half. Chelsea, Liverpool, 1-1 there in Pochettino's first game. Maybe he's not a myth of a manager, like I said earlier in the uh, previous podcasts. And the weekend's games were rounded off with controversy, a crap performance, nervousness, and I'm not talking about Wolves, Manchester United uh, winning 1-0 with a late Rafael Varane header. Um Ryan, before I come to Newcastle and Villa, and I know how excited you are to discuss that, and, and I do want to talk about Newcastle more than I want to talk about Villa losing 5-1, um, you gave a shout-out last week to your old football club that you made a three-minute appearance for over in Northern Ireland. How did they get on in the Cup this week? 1-2-1 in the first first round of the Irish Cup, which is their equivalent of the FA Cup. There you go. So, well done to them. So, Newcastle-Villa. How do you see it? Have you you've got a few more grey hairs, and I've got no hair, so you've got a few more grey hairs. Yeah, it was from our side. It was a disaster. Um, the result, Mings. I don't want to dwell on Villa too much. I thought Newcastle were excellent. I thought they started extremely well. Tonali, he looks a quality player, and yeah, they they dominated us pretty much from minute one to minute ninety. We we struggled a lot to to deal with their energy, their press. The Mings incident definitely had a massive impact on us. Second half, the defence was all over the shop. The high line wasn't working because we had players not used to playing in certain positions. But I don't want to make an excuse. I don't. It might have been three or four, one instead of five. But Newcastle, we all sat here last week and I don't know how many of us put Newcastle in their top six. 
Yeah, they were all in and around the top six, but no one sort of saw them as Champions League, I suppose. Nah, when we're looking at how strong they looked, they, they looked the business. So I think a lot will come. The, the, the harder times may come for them when they're in the Champions League and they've got to manage playing a big team on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then get themselves up for the Premier League on a Saturday. But very good start by them. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, with with Tyro Mings, is it an ACL? Obviously, we were talking off-show He's obviously got a serious injury. Do you think that could push Villa into the transfer market? They're, they're about to complete a loan deal for Zaniola from Galatasaray, who was at Roma. Yeah. Do you think they'll go back into the market for a centre-half as well? I don't think we need to, if I'm being honest. We spent the guts of 60 to 70 million over the last 12, 15 months on Diego Carlos and Pau Torres. Torres should, in reality, be a like-for-like swap. Left, left-footed centre-back. I think Carlos actually played as a left centre-back as well when he was at Sevilla. So I don't think we need to be making any more signings there. We've got we've got three, including Konza. got Callum Chambers who can play there. I think what Den- a player he is. Dendonka can sit, can can work in or can fit in there if needed. Yeah, we've also got youngsters. So for me, the only time we'd really need to be considering that is if another key centre-back got injured during the Europa Conference League. We can we can manage the minutes between the, the centre halves we have. So yeah, fair enough. Hopefully not. The, the, the club haven't released a lot of information, if I'm completely frank. They've said he's had a significant knee injury, which it could mean anything. Yeah. I, yeah, just a shout out to Tyron Mings, really, because he, I'm sure he's in a bit of a dark place. And yeah, it's awful to see him go through that for the second time in his career. Yeah, it's a, it's a big injury. Um, we wish him a speedy recovery here on the podcast. Um, we have got Rob Holding available at Arsenal if you want him. He is a quality centre-half, gets sent off against all the big ones. Uh, Matt, I'll come to you next. How did you assess the Newcastle-Villa game? Um, obviously, very easy to say. 5-1 looked easy. Villa looked shit. Newcastle looked amazing. It's very difficult in, in, in match week one to really read too much into it. But what were your early thoughts? I mean, look, when we, in a previous pod, you talked about pre-season and and kind of setting a stall out and that sort of thing. I think first game of the season is where you really set a stall out and Newcastle did that. I mean, for me, it was was great to watch. No offence to Ryan. I wasn't hoping that Villa were going to get absolutely battered like that. But I just thought just Newcastle looked on top of absolutely everything. And it it, it was great to watch and it's great to see that Eddie Howe has, has got that team playing. I, in fairness, I don't think we have rated Newcastle highly enough in in our uh, predictions for the league because I know it's only the first game, but if they continue even at kind of 80% of that form for the rest of the season, they're going to be probably up to third, I reckon, by the end of the season. It was sad uh, with with Mings, like really, really sad. And Ryan, did you say that that was the the second time he's had the same injury? Yeah, he had it on his Premier League debut, I believe, for Bournemouth. Right. He'd done his ACL, and yeah, well, yeah, that, he's looking at his Instagram. I think he's deleted everything, deleted everyone who he follows as well. Yeah. So he's in a pretty bad place. Yeah, I'd say so. And that can be a career ender. But as well. I agree with it. Yeah, if I think he did his ACL first time. So I'm not sure if he's done these ACL again. And if it's the same leg, actually, haven't researched enough into that. Yeah. But I agree with what you said about Newcastle. The uh, One thing I forgot to mention is the players they're bringing off the bench. 
the squad's got deeper. Harvey Barnes and Callum Wilson coming off the bench, both scoring, both looking on fire. Like they gave Maddie Cash a bit of a torrid time, Anthony Gordon and Harvey Barnes throughout the game. Gaz, what what was your assessment of watching Newcastle? Uh, and, and Villa as well. You talked about, you know, in the previous pod that you've got a lot of admiration for Villa, their high line um, and how they try and play football. They are a good side and I don't read too much into the 5-1. I'd be worried more about Villa if that's four or five games down the line and they're still losing. And I don't think that will happen under Emery. What was your assessment of, of that game? Yeah, I mean, I watched it. You know, obviously, I, I was keeping on Villa anyway. And obviously, you know, with Ryan as well. But uh, no, I thought uh, Villa were uh, Villa were just, they weren't quite at the races. They just didn't really set 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 the tone in the light, really. Uh, and I think, yeah, Newcastle, that firepower they got up top there with uh, Isaac, frightening. I mean, he is frightening of a player. And then obviously, like you said about the substitution, um, when they brought uh, Harvey Barnes on and, uh, and and Callum Wilson on, <laughs> I think we're, we're we're way off with our predictions there, guys. I think <laughs> I think we've made a bit of a faux pas there. So um, uh, they look really strong. Um, I don't think it's a one-off either. Um, so yeah, really, really strong. I I kind of looked at it and thought to myself, well, you know, they've invested well in the summer. Sandro Tonali coming in from AC Milan. I actually took him out of my fantasy football team after Ryan reviewed and had a look at my team and put the, you know, the shakers into me. And I dropped him and then I watched him score and I was like, fuck. fuck. I swapped him for Bruno and Bruno got one point or whatever it was. So that was disappointing. For me, I credit Eddie Howe massively. Um, yeah. There are players in that Newcastle team that... I consider to be average. Murphy, Longstaff, yeah, he's a, he's a you know boyhood Newcastle player, but a fairly average footballer, I, I thought. Even the signing Dan Byrne that came in from Brighton, I didn't rate Dan Byrne that highly, but he's getting a tune out of those, a massive tune out of some of those more average players. And the important thing is, is they seem to be blending in with the, the likes of Gimaresh and Tonali and Isaac. They don't look out of place. Um, so massive credit to Eddie Howe for, for that. And, and I agree, Gaz. There is every chance that we've underestimated Newcastle. And even with FFP, they're probably not done in this transfer window. They, they've been linked with Kukurea from Chelsea as a left back. They've been linked with Tierney. Um, about 30 million there for him. So I don't think Newcastle are done. Um, that squad will be tested in the Champions League, definitely. Um, but if they get out of the group stages, there's you know every chance they'll reinvest again in January, which everyone knows is harder to do. So they could be in a very, very good place um, this season. Newcastle might have been underestimated by all of us. Um, the next fixture, um, Brentford drawing 2-2 at home with Spurs, Gaz. Ange Ball. Um, we've had Baz Ball in the summer with England and, and Australia in the cricket. Now it's Ange Ball. Um, let's be honest, and I'm not saying this as, a, as an Arsenal fan, the football at Spurs for the last four or five years has been nothing short of dross, negativity, you know, low shot count, nothing really on target, heavily reliant on Harry Kane, obviously, since the last pod, Kane has now completed his move to Bayern Munich. And I, and I will get just a very quick reaction to that. Um, but how did you see Ange Ball? I don't think that the result being a draw away at Brentford's a bad result. Um, their last previous two season openers in the Premier League, they beat Arsenal, they beat Manchester United. Um, 
Happy with a 2-2? Happy with the early signs of Ange ball? Uh, happy with... Uh, probably not happy with the result, to be honest. Um, I did think we was going to get a result there. I think I did it in my predictions there. Um, I have been watching us during the pre-season friendlies, so, you know, of how well we've been, you know, how much more front foot football we're now playing, which is just huge. Um, but like I said, from being the last season, being a very much of a counter, counter-attacking team and, um, you know, under Conte and now being much more front foot and pressing, really good to watch it's really really good to watch um i was a little bit disappointed uh with son um i think he stuck out stuck out on the left is a bit of a funny one i don't think we're getting as much out of son being stuck out on the left there um i did have a chat with a mate of mine who's a big evertonian and i asked uh you know did richarlison ever play off the left that um when he was playing at everton and he assures me that that he did. So, you know, with, with Calvert-Lewin, you know, in, in the middle there. So I'm hoping that Tottenham eventually maybe swaps Son as the number nine and then maybe push uh, Richardson out a little bit to the left and maybe coming off the left a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, a um, little bit, uh, yeah, I was happy. I was, overall, I wasn't too disappointed. I was happy with the performance and... Nice to actually watch us play this way for a change. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that Spurs will see a better game of or brand of football this season. Um, I have some concerns. I thought you looked far too open at the back. I know that the wing-backs look to be going to this more, is it inverted now, the new word, the new wing-back being inverted, which obviously led to Emerson Royale scoring a, a really good goal for, for Spurs. Um, I said earlier in, in previous pods, I think... Poster Cogley will do well. I think he plays a good brand of football and ultimately managers that play good brands of football, generally the teams start to pick up good results and move you know, up the right end of, of the table. Um, Matt, what did you notice? I suppose, as I said, Spurs have been pretty average. No Harry Kane. Richarlison, unless it's on a plate for him or on his head, he seems lazy up front. Where do you think they need to bolster? Just the back line or do they need more going forward to play this Angeball brand of football? It's it's such early days, isn't it? I thought there's definitely promising promising signs for, for what Ange is doing. Richarlison's peaked. He peaked at the Tiger Cup. I don't think he's going to get any better. So <laughs> probably leave leave him out now, to be, to be fair. Yes, look, Spurs are going to leak goals just purely for for how, you know, for instance, the, the kind of fullbacks or wingbacks play so high up the pitch, there's just the gaps for the, for the players to, to run into. That's, that's going to happen. But for me, it's an exciting, exciting brand of football. And I think that's, that's what the Premier League needs. It needs that, that fast-paced attacking style, at least as, you know, someone who doesn't su- support Spurs where I don't really care whether they win or lose. It's great to actually, to actually watch the football. Um, but Massive, obviously, first game without without Harry Kane. Uh, someone mentioned in our kind of group chat for this pod, like, is that actually a good thing for Spurs longer term? Have they been too reliant on on Harry Kane? And I thought that was a really, really good question. I think it's a new era for Spurs. And I almost think it needed to happen that he needed to leave for Ange to really stamp his style of football on the club moving forward. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'll lead in with that to, to you, right? When Kane finally completed the long overdrawn transfer saga to Bayern Munich, and he looks great in red and white. I can't wait for him to come back to the Premier League and play his final few seasons for Arsenal. Um, but I almost felt sorry for Postacoglu because 
every other manager that's been at Spurs has had almost a leg up with a striker that scores 20, 25 goals in a season. Postacoglu's come into the Premier League off the back of very successful time, both in the J-League in Japan and up, up across the border with Celtic. Doesn't have his, you know, Spurs' star man. But, you know, maybe his brand will see collectively the team score more goals. Uh, what, what was your initial reaction to how Spurs went against Brentford? And, and, and obviously what you thought of Brentford as well. Yeah, to, to be fair, I actually thought Spurs were decent, considering I, I don't agree with the feeling sorry for Ange. I'm pretty sure he'd have been told early doors, whether it be Harry Kane or Daniel Levy, like the likelihood is he's going, unbeknown to Spurs fans. But I think internally, he's shared Harry Kane told him day one. Yeah. So I'm sure that was probably part of when he was coming on board as manager. The likelihood is Kane's not going to be here. In terms of how the team reacted, I thought you were good. Certainly going forward, I thought it was a decent result, if I'm honest, guys. Like, there was a lot of negativity around Kane going. So if you to get a result, you know, be leading a couple of times. Madison looked good. I thought some played off, like sort of inverted left forward in, in his best days with Kane, but you, you, you may correct me on that. I do think you, you clearly need a, a striker. Yeah. You clearly need a, an out and out striker for me for, for you to kick on this season because Richarlison won't be won't be the answer for you. He's nowhere near good no. enough. He's nowhere near good enough. Yeah, that's why I want Son to switch, really. I mean, uh, that's where he gets do you his goal. You don't want him as a number nine. He's not a number nine. You don't want him as your number nine, though, do you? Would you not want him as a 10 or something floating around no. your nine? Yeah, yeah. You, what, the thing is, like I said, we, 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 need, we need him through the middle, though. He, he looked lost on, up, yeah. uh, on the left. Um, I mean, he keeps it nice and wide and... You know, play, we we effectively play now with like two number tens, like pushing for like song. Sorry, um, uh, Madison was one there, and obviously Basuma kept bombing forward as well. So you know, we we we're playing a lot more higher up that way. Um, but yeah, I'd like him to come in a little bit more on the game because, like I said, he will score goals. I mean, Richarlison, uh, I'd like. I want to give him a little bit more time yet, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about him at all. Um, you called him out there, Basuma. I thought Basuma was excellent. Obviously, was picked up by Spurs from Brighton um, and obviously had a really bad season last year, a few injuries and whatever else. But he looked more like the Basuma of old that had the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, all the top clubs, you know, going for him. Yeah. So he could be vital to how Spurs want to play this season, that energy in midfield, alongside Skip, who I thought also had a really good game. There were definitely lots of positives for Spurs. Don't forget, 48 hours before the season kicks off, are losing Harry Kane to, to Bayern Munich. But yeah, and, and unless you get another striker, I think that that's going to hamper your chances of Champions League football. Brentford are a good team. Like yeah, Brentford are a good Brentford team. finished top half last season. They are very, very dangerous going forward. On Brentford, I mean, obviously, you know, last season, Tony and Kane were the two highest scoring English Premier League players. Obviously, Tony's currently banned at the moment. I thought Brentford, I like how they play football. Thomas Frank's a very good manager. I'd be happy for him to be at Arsenal one day. They get the ball down. They keep it tight. They're good in the channels. It was, you know, Wissa up front and Bueno up front. Um, very good, very well organised side yeah. working on a shoestring budget. They're probably one side that are massively punching above their weight. I would say in the Premier League, they're only season three, 
Yeah, Liz Marge, yeah. When you think of it that way, that Thomas Frank, I think he's a quality manager. Absolutely world class. Um, he, he's bound to be, uh, like I said, they just look so loose. They look, Brentford are going nowhere. They're going to just hover around that sort of mid-table all season. I think I can't see them being under any pressure whatsoever. I think the challenge one day will come for someone like Thomas Frank, where I know Spurs have tried to get him. He's under a new contract. Uh, eventually someone will come knocking at the door for him and he'll want a different challenge because he's going to comfortably keep Brentford up. But the the teams that will finish above them have got far bigger, you know, wages and, and transfer budgets available to push them into Europe. I'd liken them to another Brighton, though. They seem to always have a contingency plan. They lose a player, they replace a player. We took Dean Smith, they appointed Thomas Frank. Frank yeah. they, they always have that. The next step in the, in their in their mind, and similar to Brighton, they're a well-run club. I think a few pundits have said that though. Them and Brighton are the two of the best-run clubs in the Premier League. So they have a great business model, and it's. I think Luton are, are trying to look at that as much as they're. I think going to struggle, but I think the way that they're preparing for the future, not overspending on silly, silly amounts of you know money on players, but yeah, I, I think it'd be an interesting one to discuss both Brentford and Brighton one day, and and whether some of the more elite or the bigger clubs, let's just say, could actually learn a thing or two of how they recruit players. You know, we'll come to um, Caicedo and Chelsea in a moment, but, you know, they Brighton signed Caicedo for about three million two seasons ago. And here he is now completing a £115 million deal to Chelsea. Um, it, it, it's, it's pretty it's pretty clever what, what those guys do. All right, so Ange Ball's out of the way. Um, hopefully Spurs will kick on and finish about 11th in the table and I'll be a happy, happy gooner. But no, it was good to watch. It was good to watch. Um, Super Sunday, historically a, a firecracker of a fixture. Um, another manager making his debut in Maurizio Pochettino, formerly of, of Tottenham. Um, as we know, Chelsea last season were terrible, finished 12th, I think it was, in, in, in the table, their lowest league position since the 90s. They were miles off the pace. Um, even Super Frank Lampard couldn't save the day there. They started with a home fixture against Liverpool. Um, I think I've got my prediction wrong by saying Liverpool will be in the top four. Their midfield's all over the place, or lack of midfield. So the game the game finished 1-1. Um, could have been more goals, a couple of disallowed ones um, for offside. Um, Matt, what's your thoughts on Chelsea from the outside with, I think, is it 20-something players that they've signed in the last year? It's a totally different team to, to what we saw from last season and, and the likes of Nkuku's still injured. Is Pochettino going to drive them maybe a little bit higher up the table towards that maybe fifth place and what will look like to be a Champions League um, position? Yeah, good question. And, you know, Maurizio, the myth, Pochettino, as you'd call him, that would be his boxer's name, wouldn't it? I, I thought he started strong. Like, I thought Chelsea should have won that game, to be honest. Uh, Liverpool, a point you just made there, their midfield is 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 a mess. And it's going to take some settling in for the likes of, you know, McAllister. But they're missing something there. Someone to kind of break play down and, and get things going where, you know, they've lost Fabinho and, and Henderson. They're missing something. And that's that's going to cause them issues this season unless they sort that out. And I know they've been trying to sort that out with the signings they've been trying to make. But 
well, it seems that Poch has got a little bit more of a draw for these players than, than Klopp has. It's going to be interesting to see. We've all kind of rated Liverpool fairly high up the table during our predictions. But if you're basing it on that, it could almost kind of flip wherever we'd, we'd uh, expected Chelsea to be and put them in that, that Liverpool position instead. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, obviously, I know you watched the game and we've discussed it as well. Um, I'll get two points. A, how you saw the, the the result, I suppose, play out. And before I go to Gaz, for his opinion, um, why do you think players are... I suppose going to Chelsea over Liverpool, there, there's clearly a massive problem. Jamie Carragher talked about the issues that Liverpool look stuck in the mud in terms of how their transfer dealings are going. It's, it's a shambles. Um, it's typically not how Liverpool do things. You know, they even went down the route of putting out a £111 million bid for Caicedo. They made that public. Surely they'll check with the player before they bid to whether he actually wanted to join them or not. He's rejected it. They've showed their hand to the rest of the the world that they've got a decent kitty of money. Yeah. Um, but but why is Caicedo going? I think Lavi is going to go to Chelsea as well, and he's probably only going to be on the bench. Yeah, it's a weird one. I don't, I don't understand their transfer policy this summer. I think, touching on what you said, Matt, I think what they're missing is, a, is definitely a six. Um Jeremy Carragher has highlighted it. I think any, if you ask any Liverpool fan, they know they need it. They've, they've probably got more money for those two players than what they would have expected. So I don't get the whole deliberation about what you bid for Lavia. Uh, hey, ask, ask Southampton what they want and get him in. I think that's potentially a problem of why they're not getting players in at the moment. There, there wasn't really any Liverpool interest in Caicedo. All of a sudden, they bid 110 million, whatever it was. And... He doesn't want to go there. No, he probably. Like, if we, if I look at it with the logical brain, they're both living on the south coast. London isn't that much of a move. They're both the north south divide a little yeah, bit as well. Both, you know, London's probably nicer weather. Bright lights of London. Uh, so they've got that option to live to to live there. I don't know about the Klopp, the Klopp versus Pochettino pool. I still think Klopp's got the pool, but Liverpool. Don't look great. I, I I did tip Chelsea to finish fifth, so I don't. You know they, I had them in the Champions League. I still I'm still pretty adamant though. It's the first day of the, first day of the season. Yeah, players will need time to to get back in their groove. And but Chelsea look good. I think. Yeah, my only concern they're very young. There's a lot of inexperienced Premier League players there that that might come unstuck. Gaz, obviously, um, as much as you you know you don't like Arsenal, Chelsea and and, and Tottenham have their own battles as well. Um, you live up in Liverpool. What's the consensus of how yep. Liverpool fared at the weekend? Um, how did you see Chelsea as well? I suppose. Yeah, well, I watched. I watched it with a few scousers, <laughs> and uh, they were a little bit ooh, panicky second half, to say the least. Um, but yeah, I think Liverpool will still be fine. Though. Um, I don't think it's major issues. I think yes, you know that bit, losing the hat on Henderson, missing the Henderson and and Milner. They're, they're like focal points of the dressing room and you're taking that out of the team, you need that sort of that heart in midfield. So I can see where they may be a little bit weaker in midfield. Um, regarding, obviously, the Casado thing, uh, I think London definitely has its huge pull, like you say. But a lot of these foreigners now, uh, you know, they see Englanders, are we moving to England, we're moving to London, we want to live in London. Um, so that has a big pull. But the main thing, I think, really is, 
is when Liverpool go out and pick their players, albeit they, when they buy players, they do spend a lot of money on players. They're not like Chelsea where they just buy they buy Chelsea buy players every single week. <laughs> you know, every like thirty million, forty million, that they just do it. You know, if it doesn't work, they just buy more and more and more, and then shift them on. Um, and I think that's that's Chelsea's mantra. So eventually, you're going to get it right, aren't you? Um, and I think Poch is doing. You know, Poch, he's not he's not a one season wonder. Uh, I think he's gonna he's gonna do well there, mate. I think uh, I know you think he's gonna crash and burn there, but I don't see it at all. I see him just you know just getting out the dead getting out the dead wood, bringing in what he needs to bring in. And if it doesn't work, you know, just get them out and keep 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 the uh, conveyor belt coming, and Chelsea will inevitably be very very successful. They still need strikers. Agreed. Think, I still think they need goals in that team. Agreed. Like, with that, and Kunku's and Kunku's out. You're not going to put Stone in there. Um, I didn't. I didn't see enough of Jackson. I, I don't think they're going to play Lukaku, are they? No, he's going to go. So, like for me, they need another striker who's going to score goals. They've been unlucky with that and Kunku, though. I mean, and Kunku picking up that injury, they've been very unlucky with that. Um, that uh, Jackson guy, he reminds me so much of a Nelka. He's unbelievable when he comes to RC. He's that sort of, you know, runner um, in behind. Um, so, yeah, Chelsea's always normally had that great big man, haven't they? They they haven't had a good number nine since Drogba. They've tried, but they certainly, they certainly haven't. Um, we talked last week around financial fair play. We tried to put our finger on what it was that Premier League clubs must abide by. Um, I think we kind of came to the assumption that Chelsea have really bent the rules, potentially are the other side of the line, but it hasn't really been picked up. And and by that, I mean how, the length of contract more than anything. Right, you've gone and done a little bit of research or further research on this, it appears that Chelsea are not anywhere near in breach of financial fair play. Whether they're bordering on the line of it, I don't even know anymore. And it further puts a, for me, you know, what's the point of financial fair play, really? With how they're doing things, what's the point? But I'll let you explain a little bit better about what you've further found out about Chelsea. Yeah, so okay, we will catch up with them eventually if they keep doing what they're doing. Essentially, if we look at this summer, they I can actually quote Simon Jordan on this. He helped me out a little bit with one of his rants. But Havertz was only it was essentially ne- negative twenty five million against FFP. They sold him for plus sixty, so that's thirty five million profit. Just, just quickly, how does the negative twenty five million work? So because they signed him for sixty seventy million, and he's went. His his value will go down the percentage versus his contract. So if he had a five year contract, and let's just say he was signed for fifty, yeah, knock ten million off every year, right? Of the value, okay. So they they sold him for pretty much what they bought him for. So they actually have made a profit against FFP rules, right? Mason Mount, another one, academy academy player, that's sixty million pure profit. You then look at the contracts they gave out last year. Very clever seven, eight-year contracts, which you're splitting by splitting seven or eight years. So 70 million, seven-year contracts, you're only losing 10 million against FFP. Then this summer, in fairness to them, they've sold over 200 million worth of play in, in terms of yeah, their, their, players their, out in, the their incomings. So 
unless they buy Lavia and then maybe spend another hundred mil on a striker, they're they're sitting in quite a healthy position because I think to quote a figure that I read, they're minus two hundred and thirty-five. Uh, sorry, one hundred and thirty-five million against FFP, but then they're brought in. 200 million yeah right okay it's it's crazy crazy. how ffp works i suppose yeah it it doesn't make sense one thing it would be obviously key to note is they've got to have a source of income chelsea have spent under todd bowley which was that april may last year somewhere it ties in close to somewhere of the start of the, the war in ukraine chelsea have spent nearly 900 million pounds on players they are no no closer to winning the Premier League. Uh, they're probably still another four to five hundred million to go before they're going to be in that top two again. They're still miles behind, I think. Um, and and here they are being very clever with FFP and fair play to them. Um, the lo- the loophole that they're playing with is different in the Premier League to as it is in UEFA. So they're not in the Champions League or the Europa League or the Europa Conference League. So they've got no issues this season. They may have some next season. We all predict them to finish in a European place. Um, yeah, it's it's very clever. They just have deep pockets because that FFP, as you said, will be saying you know this you know to Caicedo's twenty million each year or whatever for the length of the contract. But obviously, Brighton are not taking 20 million this year, 20 million next year. They've probably taken 60 or 70, 80 million up front. And that's probably another payment to come next season for the balance, you know, 30, 40 million. So um, they're being very, very clever with it. Um, All right. The last fixture or result, I should say, that I want to look at from the weekend has some controversy. Um, Matt, Monday evening over in the UK there, Manchester United kicked off at home against Wolves who changed their manager with about three days to go. Um, some of us were worried they might go down. I, I said Gary O'Neill did a great job at Bournemouth last season and I think he'll get a tune out of Wolves. Um, was nearly the case. Um, United looked a little bit nervous. How did you see the game? I mean, look, we're going to talk about the new rules that have come into the Premier League uh, later on in the pod. But I think another rule that hasn't been introduced is actually docking of points when teams play incredibly shit. And United should have been docked three points for that performance last night. It was honestly, it was terrible. And if that is a sign of things to come, then I don't even know if I want to watch because... I mean, look, firstly, give credit to Wolves because they were incredibly well organised. O'Neill, whatever he's done in the last few days, really, really worked because they were just, the press was amazing. They were on absolutely everything. They were quick from back to front. They didn't fall into the Anana trap, which is when he's got that ball and he's kind of dribbling it out of the area, not one of their forward players went to him, which would have left a gap. They just held back. So he was kind of taken out of the game. I thought we were shocking. I I checked after the game to look at our stats on pass completion because I swear during the game we were probably at about 30%. And I was amazed to see that we had 82% pass completion because it seemed that whoever had the ball, whether it was Bruno, whether it was Ganacho, whoever it was, just seemed to pass it straight to a Wolves player. It was shocking. Uh, I definitely don't want to watch any of the highlights again and I just I mean look it can only it can only get better from here it's like it's like when a, you get shit on by a bird 
they say it's good luck, but it just means that things can only get better for that day. And that's, that's how I feel about that game. <laughs> Look, it's three points at the end of the day. Um, first game of the season's out of the way. Um, if you'd won 7-0, you might have been saying, oh, look, United are going to win the Premier League next week. You drop points and, you know, you're back to square one again. What's your opinion as a United fan on VAR? Um, and in particular, the WWE clothesline challenge by Onana um, with about 10 minutes to go. And, and I'll give some backstory to this. So obviously the ball was played, crossed into the box right-hand side. Onana goes up. Clotheslines the Wolves player whilst trying to take the cross. Nyan knocks him out. Both of them fall to the ground. Play stops. Um, the referee, or the VAR, I should say, is none other than Michael Salisbury. Now, Gaz, you'll know him because last season he failed to give a, penalty, a stonewall penalty for Brighton and as such was dropped um, as a match official by... Howard Webb. Roll forward to match week one. He's back. Um, decides that the clothesline, Matt, wasn't a penalty and wasn't a clear and obvious error by the referee. Um, the PGMOL have since come out, both John Moss and Howard Webb, and apologised to the manager, um, Gary O'Neill, who subsequently got a yellow card for his appeal at the time. So, you know, double, you know, double rub of salt in the wounds there. VAR for me is a fucking joke. The referee, fine. You missed it on the field. You've got a fucking video there to go back and watch it. Everyone at home can fucking see what happened. But what's more embarrassing is, is the VAR who's got, I don't know, 97 cameras, more cameras than I've got in this studio to watch it from every angle. I don't know. He must have had fucking Pornhub on them or something because how he's fucking missed it, I do not fucking know. But look, as a United fan, do you sympathise with Wolves? Because Anana came out and said it was just a clash and there was nothing he could do about it. It was, it was never a penalty. Never. Oh. It's, it's, <laughs> right, okay. So we talked about this where we talked about the tradition of football and we don't want to tra change the traditions. It sounds like you're wanting to make it a non-contact sport, right? You want it to be something like, and, and it's not, you're going to have contact with players. I don't think it was a goal scoring opportunity. The ball had already been played. He just kind of fell into them a little bit with his fists. That was it. I don't think it was a penalty. <laughs> If it had been the other way, considering we're yeah. talking about non-contact, how the goalkeepers are like an endangered species—you can't go near them—but yeah, they go out both fists flying, and it's perfectly acceptable for him not to get the ball. If I like it, if somebody off the ball, if you go for a tackle with your feet, you don't get the ball. The ball goes up in the air, and you clatter someone and break break their ankle or whatever. It's a foul, it's, it's a card, probably a red card. What is the difference? I mean, look, if it happened at the other end of the pitch, it would have 100% been a penalty. But is there a difference between what Martinelli did? Sorry, Martinelli, sorry. He should have been sent off for Villa compared to what he did compared to what Onana did. Onana's was nothing. He was just jumping and falling in the wrong way. One was in the box. One was in the box and would have been a penalty. And the other one was near the sideline with defenders running back and a player going towards the byline away from goal. So it wouldn't have been a red. 
You just said that the, the problem. But Wolves weren't going to score from what they did. With what you just said, if it was the other end, it would have been a penalty. One hundred percent. Yeah. That's what drives fans crazy, and that's the problem with VAR. <laughs> it, I don't care. Do you know what? If you're not going to ever give them, fine, perfectly fine. Never give them. But the problem is, if it was at the other end, yeah, penalty. It's no, the old Manchester that. United special it's fucking treatment. It's, it's big club bias. It's t- it's tongue in cheek. It's tongue in cheek. Club bias. Uh, if if it had been at the other end, it, for me, it still wouldn't have been a penalty. I don't. I genuinely don't given. think it would have been. So for me, I don't think it was a penalty. But clearly, the refs actually do, and everyone else thinks it was. So I'm happy. To I mean, wrong. yeah, everyone that's come out as a, a previous match official has said it. Gaz, you would have seen it um, on Monday night football over there. What, what did you, what did you think? Uh, you know, Anana's had a pretty interesting start to life at United. He got lobbed from the halfway line on his debut at. Old Trafford and ended up in the in the net as a heap, and then this week comes flapping for a cross and decides that he's going to clothesline the guy instead. Penalty or not a penalty? Yeah, well, I've, I've never seen uh, such a good going back to the lob. I've never seen such a good lob since Naima lobbed um, your boy from the halfway line. So uh, <laughs> that was uh, speaking of lobs, it was another one. But no, it was a it was hundred percent clothesline. The only thing he didn't do was the uh, the stone cold Eve Austin stunner. <laughs> after. Um, but uh, Matt, sorry, mate, it was definitely <laughs> all right. So then that leads me back to the referees and. In any other walk of life, if you make errors in your career, you have to own it. You know, if you're employed by an employer, that may mean you lose your job. You know, if you own a business, you may lose a lot of money. Um, Michael Salisbury was banned last season for his poor VAR officiating of that Brighton game. So he's had one strike against him. Week one of the Premier League season, he's surely going to be up for another ban. So... You know, if that comes out, that's that's two strikes. The, the match officials normally get announced on a Thursday, so it'd be interesting to see if he's been dropped for this week. If he is dropped, that's two strikes against him. Do you think, and I don't want people to lose their job, but given the high stakes that the Premier League has, and, and Wolves might go down by a point, you know, and that could have been a point they got at Old Trafford, do you think he should lose his job? Standards have got to be raised. You know, I, I don't want people to get sacked, but... They are high-profile errors. They are paid a lot of money as officials. That's all they do. They're not part-time. They're full-time. It's on a video. You know, Gaz, is he out the door at, at third strike if he does it again? I mean, what, what they pay to do, like, I mean, surely blatant obvious decisions. But, no, I don't, I don't think we should lose his job. But, I mean, the standard of the referee is, is poor. And the thing is, the change of the rules and that as well is... I mean, it's very trigger happy, but there is a couple of. Good, I mean, we're going to talk about rule changes and that in a sec, but I think um, I think some of these are trigger very trigger happy with with the yellow cards and things. Right. I mean, surely he's got to lose his fucking job. I don't think he has to lose his job. But why? Well, it, why? <laughs> why though? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, but why? Because I'll, I'll if you pour in, a, if you pour in any other walk of life, you lose your okay. job. So maybe there should be a certain number of strikes. And you're not allowed in the, in Stockley Park. And like, it, it goes back to Howard Webb for me and John Moss. Like, what is the training that they're receiving? That's that, that, that you cannot come out and it's too late to apologise afterwards because, as you rightly said, Wolves have lost a point. If it's what well, you never know what's going to happen with the penalty, whether he scores or not, they've lost the opportunity to secure a point. 
very late in the game. To come out and apologise, it happens too often. Yes, he's at fault, but his refereeing is also about interpretation. So why is the referee going over and looking at it and not giving it? If he's been called over, there's obviously a potential issue there. He's not given it. So is that an interpretation from two referees? It's not a penalty. It's not just one. It's two because he's told him to go over to the screen. And then you've got two people, Howard Webb and John Moss, coming out and saying it's a penalty. That's That to me is a communication or training issue. They're not implementing that correctly. And there has to be consequences for that. Why not just have John Moss in Stockley Park for every single game? VAR goes to the same place for every single game. Have one person who makes the, def- the definitive decision. He can have his little assistants running around saying, is this a penalty? He comes over, he reviews it, takes 10 seconds, yes or no, bang. I actually think that's a really good idea. Why um, not have that? You know, but John Moss, John Moss retired making a heap of really poor decisions in the latter part of his career. And Howard Webb is the man that this all falls on and has consistently had to come out and apologise for his army of referees. Instead of him sitting pretty in a stadium watching a game of football on a Saturday, maybe he should be sitting in Stockley Park. I actually think that's a good idea. And if the VAR can't make a decision or doesn't think it's clear and obvious error from an on-field official, then, yeah, maybe Howard Webb should have a final call or, yeah. you know, pick up a mobile and phone him. If you've, got, if you've got the same person making the final decision every time, that's where you should get some consistency. The problem is if you've got one different person covering every single game, their referee is about inter- refereeing can be sometimes about interpretation. And you've got one person doing it, they're going to interpret it the same every single time. You've got 10 people or 15 or 20, no matter how many is in that room, they could all interpret a certain situation a different way. And that that's the frustration. Right. That's the frustration for fans. It's a, like, be consistent. It'll give us something to talk about in the pub when we're having a beer. Whether we agree with it or not, at least you know it's going to happen every single game. The thing that drives you nuts is one person will give it, the next person won't. So no, I don't think he should lose his job. I think there should be consequences above it, if I'm being completely frank with you. Right. What do you think the decision would be if it was, say, Palace were playing Forest? Do you think the decision would be any different? I do. I think it's, I think it's likely a penalty. It's a, big, it's a big decision to give it at Old Trafford. And he's got to give. Yeah. Was it the 96th minute? Am I right in saying Yeah, it was that? in injury time. It was in injury time. So it's a big decision to go against Man United, first game of the season. This isn't a hit Man U thing. It's you've got a decision to make. It's irrelevant who's playing. You should make the right decision. Yeah. So if the refer- if John Moss and Howard Webb are saying it's a penalty, would it be given in a, lo- in a lower profile game? Yes, I do. I believe it would. As opposed to Monday Night Football, where it's going to be overanalyzed afterwards. Yeah, Matt, Matt, interestingly, Matt, he, he, he went over to the cameras, uh, over to the video screen to have a look at it, didn't he? Um, to actually look at the incident. Normally when they go over, you know, the first thing they do after they've looked at it is turn up on the pitch, blow the whistle, do the fucking, you know, TV real filmmaking thing, <laughs> point to the spot, you know. That's why he shouldn't lose his job. And he, and he didn't do that. And I just, it's, look, and Matt, whether you think it was a you know, penalty or not, there's a massive, there's a massive error, and there's still clearly massive issues with the standard of officiating in this country, yeah. and, and I think that's the wider issue. And I do think they've got the right man in charge. I think Howard Webb is the right man. He, he was a, you know, decorated referee, uh, the highest level World Cup referee, World Cup final referee, I think as well, um, at one point. So 
you know, the the kickoff of of the fixtures this week saw some of those new rules that we talked about last week implemented. Um, referees or the, the PGMOL came out and said that they're going to be tougher or they're cracking down on the likes of dissent, time wasting. Um, so, so yellow cards and, and additional added on time. Um, I'll, I'll give you my quick thoughts on both of those. I think we're going to see a lot of players booked and a, and a lot of red cards. I, I see that they've short, uh, they've now said that coaches, for example, if they get booked now, I think it's now four games. It was six before or five before, so they can get suspended now quicker. Um, I think some things are a good thing. Uh, some of it seems very petty, but obviously they're trying to get a, a tighter grip back on the game, and maybe that will be reevalued during the course of the season. With time added on, I'll let you guys discuss that in greater depth. But the one thing from a fan's perspective is games kick off at 8 p.m. on a you know in an evening or something like that, and you're down at Bournemouth and you've got to get back to Newcastle by public transport. The Premier League are potentially going to have to look at starting games earlier, which TV companies are not going to like. Because if a game's going from 97 minutes or whatever it is now to roughly 120, games are going to be finishing (laughs) ridiculous. It may sound only another half an hour more or whatever, but games are going to be finishing so late that they're going to have to potentially look at bringing them forward. I'm all for getting the minutes back. Matt, you talked about it last week. Fans, mate... um, you know, getting ripped off by only watching 55, 60 minutes of a game. But how do you see how the weekend went first and foremost from the new implementation of rules? Yeah, I I think it's great. I think the the adding all this extra times, it's brilliant. I mean, it could could have potentially worked out terribly for us, you know, for United last night with that, that penalty decision. But I think it's required... I think the time will come down as players, like for instance, in the game last night, can't remember which Wolves player it was, but he was booked for taking too long to take a throw. And he was booked quite quickly. And then he took the throw. And then no one else in that game was booked for taking too long to take a throw. So it's going to have an effect. I don't think we're going to keep on seeing this 15, 20 minutes added time every game. I think it's going to slowly come down. So I don't think they're going to need to, to move game times. But you talk about things like, you know, you're, you're a Newcastle fan and you're, you're going to be down in, in Bournemouth. I mean, a very rare, you look at most games are either on a Saturday or a Sunday. And other than the Monday night football, okay, that might be the rare occasion where, you, you know, you might have to leave the game yourself 10 minutes early. But I don't think that's going to have a major knock-on effect, to be honest. I think it's decent. I think the fans get to actually see a full game of football rather than the, 54 minutes of, of game time that, that we've had last season. So, yeah, I, I think it's working well so far. Ryan and Gaz, I can see you both nodding your head. Ryan, I'll, I'll come to you in the studio first. Um, how did you see the new rules implemented this weekend? Positive, negative, anything you didn't like? I pretty much agree with everything that Matt said, to be honest. I, I, I don't... I, I, the time's going to come down and when players realise they can't play act, it's not... The, the only thing they might do is break up play, but they're not going to be able to waste time. So there is that potential knock-on effect in injury time where the time you spent rolling around to break up play actually ends up costing your team. It'll stop. It, it will it, it will come down. 
for me, I want to watch, I'm paying to go and watch football. If you're that worried about whether you're going to make your train or whether you're going to make your flight or you're going to get stuck in traffic, leaving the ground, don't go. Good at, missing, of, good at missing those flights that you make, Barcelona um, yeah. and whatever else. But there's fans, like in the main, the fans aren't going to leave. You're always going to get people that leave the ground early anyway for whatever reason it is. The yellow cards, I loved it. Do you know what? People, people branching the yellow card going like that. No, you're getting booked straight away. Happened in the new... Yeah, Tonali did it, yeah. Tonali did it, yeah. Granted, new to the Premier League, bang, done straight away. Very Italian thing. And it, it very quickly it'll stamp out because you've only got to do it five times and then you get banned for a game. And we're, like we were talking about breaking financial fair play and points deductions. When players start missing matches and important players, it'll stop. Yeah, And I think they made a rule about only one person being allowed in the dugout as well. Yeah, but you've got okay. an assistant or somebody's got to stand at the front. You can't have like a wall of, of technical staff and stuff in the... Yeah, and trying to keep it less congested and make it easier to manage. Gaz, we were texting backwards and forwards during the the Brentford Spurs game. I know that you think Son's foul, or it wasn't a penalty for Brentford. You you feel like that was soft. Um, I know collectively we all think it is a penalty in today's game. It probably wasn't four or five years ago. Um, Madison, I think, got booked for dissent, um, saying something he shouldn't have. That really pissed me off because I've got him in my fantasy football team and I need every point to stay ahead of Ryan. Um, so that that kind of annoyed me. Um, one of your coaches got booked as well for a, a spat with one of Brentford's coaches. Um, I can't think off the top of my head who, who that was. I don't uh, Ryan Mason. Ryan Mason, that's correct. The stand-in man when everyone gets sacked. Um, he'll be odds-on favourite when Ange goes. Um, I don't think you're that happy about it, are you? I, I think you're finding it all a bit frustrating how easy it now is to get to get a booking no i i no I, I disagree a little bit um so yeah it was it was more the tackles and this was the uh was some of the bad decisions with the ref he was a bit uh card happy but no no i agree with what matt and ryan say so i mean i was never so happy about you know you know i think it was the trent trent got booked doing a throw-in as well, didn't he? And he was waiting and waiting and waiting. He got booked. I thought that was fantastic. I was like, yes, this is what this was gonna this is what needs to happen. And uh, I think eventually they'll learn to behave a little bit more. Um, no, I was more when I was texting you back and forth, I, it was more about some of the actual uh, some of the decisions, soft decisions there. So, but no, um I think you know any back chat to the referee, you know, or simulation, you know, booking ref, booking ref. Yeah, they, they, they can't be done with that. And that will bring the time back into, uh, you know, it'll stop all this added on time. And I think you're right. What Matt says, it's going to bring it back to a bit more in kilter. I think it's important as well. We, we talked earlier in in the, the podcast or previous podcast, I should say, about the effect that I suppose the Premier League has on the likes of grassroots football, children playing football and whatever else. So may, maybe seeing these players being booked and they now can't get away with it. It is probably better. And the game does need to be cleaned up. You know, Arsenal, and I'm an Arsenal fan, have one of the worst managers for it. Arteta, you know, I love the guy, but it's a joke with how he reacts to the smallest of decisions on the side of the pitch. You know, arms up in the air, you know, screaming, running up and down. He's out of his touchline and whatever else. He got booked in the community shield. 10 minutes into the game, you know, he admitted he's got a lot to learn, you know, outside of the game, he's a far different character. So yeah, it probably, it probably 
was overall, I think, a positive from from the Premier League and from from the referees with how it's been controlled. Um, there was one thing that I don't know if any of you saw that was meant to be a new rule that there are meant to be a bit let play flow a bit more with tackles, like it had to be sufficient contact. Did you really see any yeah. evidence of that? Did you see Did you see evidence of that where that was being implemented in the games? And that's what and that's what I see on a couple of the ones in the Brentford one I was talking about. Some of the tackles were they they were, they were soft and and they were just they they were just flagged offside, you know, flagged for a booking. And it's just like I thought this game was going to you know let it flow a little bit more. I thought it was going to be a bit more, but that wasn't happening in the Tottenham game. That's what I was uh, more concerned about. Did anybody else see it? No, no, I haven't seen that. Okay. I've not seen so maybe it. that's yeah. one thing that we'll see throughout the season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, outside of the rule changes, one thing I, I did just want to touch on, and fair play to Tottenham. Anyone see the Romero substitution, although Spurs got it wrong? What happened there with, with the concussion? Yeah, I mean, Ange did great there, to be honest. Um, I mean, I couldn't stand it when Sanchez came on. I was like, oh, fuck, he's useless. Um, I didn't want to see Romero. I mean, making it hard enough as it is, but uh, bringing Sanchez on, oh my God. But, uh, you know, yeah, he, fair play to him. You know, chill away. He said, no, look, get off. Um, but uh, I just hope, he get, hope he's... Because uh, I think there's something like a six-day ban now if, it, if he is registered with concussion. Yeah. So uh, that means he could miss the Man United game, which would be absolutely disgusting. So... Uh, Spurs got it wrong oh. in terms of how the substitution was done because it was a concussion sub. They shouldn't have lost the substitute for it, but they didn't put the right card down. But I, I saw the Postacoglu interview afterwards in regards to um, that substitution. And, you know, it was refreshing to see a manager come out and be so honest to be like, I might be the manager, but you know, the doctors make that call and I fully support that and that player's got to come off. It was really good to see. I mean, he just yeah. scored a bullet header, um, which was a really, really good goal. Great free kick from James Madison. Great free kick. Um, it was a yeah, bullet header. He, his goal celebration, you could see he, he wasn't quite with it. Um, no. And I think if we're looking at the health of players, Tottenham acted superbly and it was great and refreshing to see a manager not throwing his arms up in the air at a player that's got to be taken off who who two seasons ago would have carried on yeah you know so it, it happened once with Tottenham with the Tongan uh, a few seasons back and he had a few complications with it and uh, so for them just to hit, hit the nail in the head there and just put his foot down and went no come on, you're coming off he didn't want to come off he was like no mate you're coming off and it was just done and like I said, so yeah, good call, really. I suppose from the player safety point of view, anyway. Just we'll see. You'll see me moaning if if he doesn't play against Man U next week. <laughs> we'll come to we'll come to that fixture shortly. Um, from from the rest of the weekend, there was obviously nothing else that really stood out for anyone. Anything, you know, really from a results perspective, they were as planned, really, weren't they? Yeah, I thought Brighton looked good. Brighton did Brighton. look good, yeah. I know they were. They're playing Luton in their first game, and it was nice to see Luton score. Although I had two Brighton players in my fantasy team, it wasn't just, ideal, but it was nice for them to score. Just quickly there. on Brighton, there was a there was a stat that came out for a few um, social media channels during the week. How much money have Chelsea given Brighton, both in players and managers, in the last twelve calendar months? That's over two hundred and twenty million. So, so that's Kukurea, about sixty odd. Potter, Caicedo, and Sanchez. So they're Brighton feeder club to, to Chelsea. I mean, that's a, 
It's a lot of money to Brighton. Sacked Potter. Sacked Potter, yeah. Cucurella's potentially going out on loan to Newcastle. Yeah. Yeah, and Sanchez would never have got him. Sanchez was third choice at, at Brighton and ends up as Chelsea's number one. I mean, they, exactly. they haven't really had a Timo Cortar and Matt. You talked about that earlier, but really since Petr Cech, they haven't had a great, great goalkeeper. Um, yeah, no, there was no other great surprises um, other than that VAR controversy. It was a fairly good weekend of football, other than Villa losing, eh, right? Right. Well. That takes us to the fixtures for this weekend. And there are a few big ones. There, there's some that we're going to focus on specifically, and I look forward to the debate of, of the Spurs United one. What I'll do is I'll quickly rattle off the ones that are that we're not going to focus on. So, so there is actually only nine games this week because Luton are still trying to construct their stadium. Um their game at home to Burnley has been postponed. Um, I don't really understand why they're just not playing them as away games, but I suppose they could play 10 away games first, lose them all, and it's not really fair. So so their game's not on. Um, Forest Sheffield United, that's a six-pointer um, this weekend. Uh, you know, Sheffield United just won't score goals, so I think, you know, Forest will do all right there. Um, Wolves-Brighton, Fulham-Brentford, West London derby, the other West London derby. And West Ham at home to Chelsea, that's always a little bit feisty. Um, that'll be a good game, a good challenge for Poch there. The four that I am going to focus on, and we'll start with Spurs v Manchester United. Another great fixture in a historical Premier League fixture. Um, yeah. Matt, we'll go, we'll go with you first being away and, and how poor United were. Are they going to get ripped apart by Ange Ball at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on uh, on Saturday, or at the weekend, I should say. If if we play anything like we did against Wolves, then it's not it's not going to be good for us. We will probably lose two or three nil, to be honest, because we didn't look like scoring against Wolves, and that's no discredit to Wolves. They they played a solid game, but we just had no ideas. We literally had no ideas, and even with how poor Tottenham are at the back, if we play anything like we did against Wolves, we still won't have any ideas and we won't score. So to be honest, I'm not looking forward to the game. I think this uh, this might fall in, in Tottenham's favour, which, Gaz, I'm sure you're pleased to hear. If it happens, yeah, if it happens. Um, I don't think the United will be as bad against Tottenham. Um, I just don't think they will. Um, they normally do really well at, at the lane as well. So, no, I've, I've actually got this down at the draw, to be honest. Um, I think that'd be gold, uh, and yeah, I'm just. I, I mean, I'm just a little bit concerned about Romero starting. I did say that. I think he uh, Tottenham with with Romero and Mickey Van der Ven, who was he's a great player, uh, so quick. Then he played so one game and he scored no goal. He's not a great player. If he isn't the quickest, if he isn't the quickest centre half in the league, I don't know what. Saliba's quicker than him, mate. Saliba's quicker than him. He's going to need to be with oh, all the sticks he makes. So. Yeah. Uh, he's not quicker he than Kyle be. Walker, surely. Kyle Walker's quicker as well, yeah, I'd say. No, he's right back. No, centre half, centre oh, middle, okay. centre half. Sorry, centre back, right. Both for your age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyone in the centre, like I said, he is rapid. Um, but, but yeah, it's just that I'm a little bit worried about Sanchez not uh, coming in because I think he's just, he's a car crash. Sanchez is a car crash waiting to happen. So, uh, so I think it's going to be a game goal. 
Two two. I'm going for. I think it's going to be goals. Um, so, yeah. How do you see that one playing out, Roy? See it pretty similar to Gaz. Uh, I think United will improve. I don't think Ten Hag's going to let another performance sort of drift by like that. And yeah, I can see there being goals. I think Tottenham will attack. They're going to have to attack being at home. And defensively, I think they'll concede. So yeah, I see a score draw. For, yeah, yeah, score draw. I, I I agree. That takes us on right to Villa at home to Everton. Um, Everton were woeful um, at the weekend, and they probably are going to be definitely. Well, they are going to be in a, definitely in a relegation dogfight this year. Um, Villa will be looking to recover once again from that five-one drubbing. Nothing but three points here. I don't think everyone were actually as bad as what you're, you're saying. I, I, because of, yeah, but because of how Optus actually show it here, they kept flicking to the Everton-Fulham game and Everton had a lot of chances. Again, I liken them to Chelsea. They they don't have a striker they can rely on to score goals. Calvert-Lewin just never seems to be on the pitch. Made a glass, mate. He's made a glass. That's a big problem for them. I think if they had a striker, somebody who could put the ball away, they're, they're not, that bad a, not that bad a side from what I saw. Saying all that, I thought Diaby was a, a real shining, a bright light from from Saturday. So, Scott, uh, Phil, got well. yeah, Philip Park, him and Watkins seem to be linking up well. We've got all week, thankfully, no European game this week. All week to get things right at the back, which was my major concern from the, certainly the second half. Get the midfield sorted as well. We're so disjointed. Players anonymous. I don't again like like Ten Hag. I don't think Emery will let that. No. Happen again. So, yes, I'm certainly, I'm, I'm expecting three points, two, two or three nil for me. Yeah. I mean, Everton made a good signing with Harrison this week on loan from Leeds and the little bit going to get Gonotto as well. Is it, uh, Gnotto is not going anywhere. Gnotto is it? Yeah. Leeds have already said that they're not letting him go. And, he's and Harrison's, Harrison's injured because we were being linked with signing yeah, him. Yeah. Okay. He's not fit for three or four weeks. Okay, so I, I think Villa will comfortably win that. I think Everton are shit. So I think Villa, and that's my analogy, my <laughs> professional analogy is Everton are shit. And I think they'll struggle away from home. Villa will look to bounce back. And Villa are not going to lose two on the bounce. I've, you know, I've still got them for top six. So I think that'll be a, a comfortable win for, for Villa. Matt, um, was it more Villa for bottom six than top six, in your opinion, after the weekend? How do you see them doing against Everton? I think that was just teething problems that that first game. I think you're right. I think they will bounce back from that. I think they've got so much more in them. I just think they were massively outplayed by Newcastle in that game and no one expected Newcastle to be as good as they were in that game. Villa are much stronger than Everton, much stronger. So I I can easily see a 2 or 3-0 win for Villa in that game. Gaz, um, again, another team up in your neck of the woods. Um, I would imagine there's a fair few Everton fans that are nervous about this season, even with Sean Dyche at the helm. Um, How do you see this one um, playing out at the weekend? Yeah, well, it was a big shock, actually, compared to... I mean, Everton actually played very well against um, Fulham, but you couldn't, again, camp with the ball in the net. Simple as that. Um, I think Villa will definitely be... Well, <laughs> it'll be a lot stronger uh, against uh, at home. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think... Uh, I think Villa will win, um, but I don't think it's going to be as convincing. I think because I think Everton are an awkward team, and they are quite sort of like organised in midfield with a few biggins there and and uh, the back. So I'm going to go for like a one nil win, uh, Villa, um, like a 
something along those lines. Everton won't score, that's for sure. <laughs> It'll be something like one nil. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um the next one is my team, Arsenal. Um, they're the Monday night fixture. They travel to to Selhurst Park. Um, Palace got Come on, the Palace. Palace got a very good result there at Sheffield United on the opening game of the season. Yeah, Sheffield United would have been up for that. It kept you know Sheffield United at bay. I said I don't think they'll score enough goals to stay up. Tough fixture, Roy, as he's known, um, gets Palace well organised. I thought they were going to miss uh, Zaha this season, but Elise, if they can keep hold of him, they've, they've got a few others in there. Seems to have a conveyor belt of nice young players coming through or purchases that they've made. Arsenal historically don't do great at Palace. We've been in winning positions and and dropped points there. This is a very tricky fixture for Arsenal. Um, You know, we've got a couple of key injuries. Jesus is still out with a knee injury, although Enketia obviously scored at the weekend and does score for Arsenal. It looks like they've lost um, Julian Timber as well to a a long-term knee injury similar to... Um, to Mings uh, at Villa. Timbers never had one long-term injury, plays 50 minutes at Arsenal and does his knee. Yeah, it was bizarre. It was Because he, he went down in, at the end of the first half. Didn't like his studs and, got stuck. And I don't think it was the same. It wasn't the same injury, was it? No. Like, there was like a calf problem before half yeah. time and then he did his knee five minutes into the second half. Yep. Yeah, uh, I worry about this fixture. If the right Arsenal turn up this early in the season, they should beat... Crystal Palace and they should beat Palace comfortably but I'm not 100% sure but I'm going to go with the win being that they're my team Gaz Palace Arsenal how do you see it? Yeah a tough one I mean I watched uh, Arsenal's weekend um, they, they dominated uh, Boris for, until Boris scored and then it kind of all that extra time made it quite interesting uh, a bit squeaky bum time <laughs> towards the end which was quite good but I still think um, I still think you're going to beat Palace. Uh, I'm going to go two one Arsenal. Um, I think Arsenal win. Yeah. Right? How do you see Palace versus Arsenal at the weekend? Yeah, I think it'll be tight. Roy's Roy's got them set up well since he's since he's come in. They've won something like six of eleven. But you've got to fancy Arsenal if Arsenal wanting to win the league. These are the types of games they've got to win. So similar to Gaz, I, th- I think it'll be tight. A two one, a one nil. But I think Arsenal win. Yeah. Matt, I'll come to you. Um, as kids, Palace was our first team at four and two years old. But host Arsenal this weekend. Um, how do you see that one playing out? I think it's going to be a. I think it's going to be a tight game. You have got two managers who were uh, one's usually more composed, but you have got Roy Rumble in the Jungle Hodgson after his uh, his time against Sheffield United at the weekend. That was hilarious. <laughs> it was great, wasn't it? Was he seventy six years old and doing that? That's I mean that's fighting spirit, isn't it? That's great to see. I think it's going to be kind of nil nil up until about the seventieth minute, and then I think Arsenal might just nick a goal and, and win it one nil. It's going to be a tight game though. Yeah. Okay. Um, the big fixture of the so weekend. One thing I do want to touch yeah. on. So you're both glory hunters. You both swapped from Palace to Man United and Arsenal, respectively. Um, actually, there's a story to that. Matt went from Palace to Liverpool to Man United. Um, at five years old, I went from Ars- from Palace to Arsenal, and I've been an Arsenal fan ever since. So, um, 
yeah, you went from Bang- Bangor to Aston Villa. So don't you cut glorified. that out, Ned. Let's keep that. No, no, no I'm happy sure to keep people that be in. interested to hear that you were originally a Palace fan. That's fine. But yeah, yeah, I actually remember Matt going from Palace to Liverpool to United. How did that happen? We need to cover that quickly. How on earth did you go from Liverpool to Man U? So, we, yeah, we've got we've got two cousins. One's an Arsenal fan and one's a Liverpool fan. And the Arsenal fan managed to to get Christian to be an Arsenal fan. The Liverpool one, I think I was a Liverpool fan for about three months. And then right. uh, I was watching, I remember watching Man United play or seeing highlights. And I liked their kit. So <laughs> I was only about three or four. And I was That's like, one. <laughs> I think I originally, I'll tell you this, I remember this. I think I originally, when I said I was going to support Man United, I actually said, I'm going to support Sharp because that is who our kit sponsor was at the time. <laughs> Um, if you're listening Jack hello Flower as you'd say um, <laughs> over there he's a big Liverpool fan not very happy with what he's seeing at the moment um, the big fixture for this weekend and I've backed City in my predictions sees City at home against Newcastle who are surely set up a bit different to what they did at the weekend this could be an absolute belter of a game. If Eddie Howe sets Newcastle up to have a go, you know, Burnley got at Manchester City in moments of that first game and better quality players might have scored a few goals. I really hope Newcastle do have a go because this early in the season, you could have a go at City and potentially get a result. Um, Gaz, City or Newcastle? I think my, my, my heart says... Fucking hopefully Newcastle can get a result and help Arsenal out. My head says City all day long. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think it's just going to be City. They're just, I just think um, they know how to grind a result. I think it'll be close again. I can see it being something like 2 1 or something like that. I can see Newcastle scoring for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I still, the Harla- Harlan's just going to score any. He always does. Um, so yeah, no, nah, City home win for me, mate. Matt, Manchester City um, versus Newcastle. Who, where, how, what's that result going to be? Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's, it's going to be a good game, or I hope it's going to be a good game. I still think City are going to are going to nick it. Uh, I think it might be kind of 2-1 or 3-2, something like that. I still think Newcastle are going to get get at least a goal in that game. Yeah, you're right, Haaland's, uh, Haaland's going to score. Haaland kind of makes... Like the fantasy football, a bit pointless because I think about ninety percent of people have got him in their team, so everyone's kind of getting those points from him every week. But yeah, City is still too strong. Although I think the reverse fixture when you see it later on in the season, I think Newcastle might win that. Hopefully so, Ryan. Give me some confidence that City are going to drop points early in the season and Newcastle are going to and they get three three points. I think it depends how Newcastle play. When Newcastle played them last season, they didn't have a go. No. If they go and play anywhere near how they did against us on Saturday, I think they've got a fighting chance. It's whether they do that. Like if you don't have a go at Man City and you sit there and try and defend, you'll lose. Yeah. 99% of the time. So have a go, score draw. If they don't, City 2 or 3 nil. City will be without Kevin De Bruyne, John Stones, um, De Bruyne's... Um, hamstring injuries come back. That's a big loss for City. I know home advantage will help them, but this season, obviously, they're not calling on Gundogan. They're not calling on Mares. Gaz, you talked about that earlier on um, in a previous pod. Yeah, yeah it, I, as I said, I think City 
But I hope Newcastle, especially since I'm worried about the, the, the Palace-Arsenal game. Um, with those other fixtures, that the, the Forest, Sheffield United, Wolves, Brighton, Fulham, Brentford, West Ham, Chelsea. Right, any particular banana skin fixtures you there? Left out Liverpool, Bournemouth. I think. I do apologise. Yes, we have we have left out one, haven't we? Yeah. Liverpool, Bournemouth. Yeah. Any particular banana skins from those? Sorry, I don't Liverpool know what fans. Potentially Wolves, Brighton. A lot of people will probably be lumping on Brighton, but with how Wolves played, they showed a lot of spirit. I can't. I think if you're picking, you're going to go with the favourites in every game, aren't you? Well, I've gone for I've gone yeah. for a draw. Wolves, Brighton, a draw. Um, I just think uh, wouldn't be a shock though, would it? No, it wouldn't be a shock. No, there's no shocks there. I don't think, not really. I can't spot one this week. Matt, anything for you there with potential bananas? West Ham could could get a good little draw with Chelsea, which would put a dampener on Pochettino and realign him with being a myth. No, any jokes. <laughs> I think Chelsea will be far too strong. And um, before we went to air, and we get it wrong every week, but it looks like the Harry Maguire deal has fallen through for West Ham. Um, Rumours of him wanting somewhere between a six and fifteen million pound payoff to piss off from Old Trafford down to to West Ham and. I think West Ham have got fed up with waiting. He's still in training and are looking at other targets as well. They, they have completed the signing, which I think is a very good one for them, of um, James Ward-Prowse. And, and they're in for Mohamed Kudas as well, because I think um, City have now agreed terms with um, Paqueta yeah, at West Ham. So I would imagine that money will talk there and, and Sullivan and West Ham will do business of a, in the region of £60 million for Paqueta. Yeah, they signed Edison uh, that... Edison Alvarez Edison from Alvarez. from Ajax as well. So yeah. they're wheeling and dealing their way. That they do need a centre half, and Harry Maguire would have been a good one. I know McTominay as well at United um, has been mooted with a move there. Um, your favourite player at United, mate Matt over there, is at Fred. Oh, he's got a Fenerbahce Galatasaray, isn't he? Old Spider Man. Yeah. He's he's finally left Manchester United. He was linked with, with Fulham and, and, and has been linked with Spurs in, in, in the past as well. I know I'll jinx it. I actually I do think I think Maguire goes he's not gonna get a game for United after everything that's going on. If he's haggling over what he's gonna get paid off, they'll end up settling and he'll end up going. Who the West Ham gonna get? Eric Ten Hag was not particularly complimentary about Maguire in his press conference. He, yeah, he, yes, he said I'm happy with him, but you know, he, he said he's got to show us that he's got more of a, a better standard to him. I was like, well, he's basically... He wants to fight to stay, is what he said. Right? Basically, you're saying you're shit and get out of the club. You'd take him as Spurs, guys, wouldn't you? You'd take him No, 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 mate. You can't run. Would you not? <laughs> Would you not take him? No. No, no. Oh. He's, just, he's just like another Eric Dyer. Um, if, 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 oh, he's better than Eric Dyer. Yeah, if Mings, uh, if Mings uh, is out for the season and you want to buy Dyer or Sanchez, you're welcome to him. <laughs> no, he's getting Rob Holding, mate. Rob Holding is going to Aston Villa to go and play with Chambers. I, th- I think Tanganga would be good as well. <laughs> mate, Maguire scores more than Richarlison. Don't write off Richie just yet. Yeah, Richie scored one goal for Spurs since he's been there. Is he actually injured Romero because he shoved Romero to the ground when he when he scored? The person fouling Romero was Richarlison. Richarlison desperate to score. He um, missed. So it's a good job he didn't get to the ball. Anyway, look, fixtures. At least the Premier League's back. 
fixtures this week. Can't wait till there's a few more, you know, during the week as well. And, you know, the Premier League has to catch up with games. So we don't have to wait a week in between. Um, I think that's a wrap for the week. Well, in Europe, aren't we? Europe? I don't give a shit about Europe. Europe. No, Spurs aren't. Oh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) On this podcast, I don't give a shit about Europe. Um, But no, look, really good that it's back. Super happy. Um, Hopefully Arsenal can continue to win next week um, and be top of the table by Monday night. Boys, have a good week. Thank you very much. And uh, I'll see you all next week on the pod. 